The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Have early closers paid off as a draft strategy? We'll talk about that, the impact of Hurricane Hillary on baseball, and the wild AL West. Coming up next on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Fred Zinke, live from Southern California, where you may or may not have heard there was a tropical storm slash hurricane that ripped through here, depending on where you were at. Uh, Fred, I'll, I'll start with that real quick. Uh, Monrovia, we got about four inches of rain. We were good. Um, it, it didn't really affect us too badly. Palm Springs got slammed. You know, they canceled the Angels game yesterday, postponed the Angels game yesterday. Supposed to play tonight. Uh, the Dodgers are out of town. The Padres actually played last night. Uh, all those teams, you know, got ahead of it, postponed the Sunday games. Weird that all three happened to be in town, two against teams from Florida. Uh, and actually played yep. a doubleheader on Saturday, so we had 18 games on Saturday. Yeah, that was uh, that was an exciting day, but um, it's good to know that uh, in your neck of the woods, things were were pretty bearable. Yeah, I was actually it's hard to know what you what, like. It's always hard to know when I see things on the news. Am I seeing like what's going on everywhere, or just the worst of it? Or mm-hmm. right? Pretty, yeah. Well, I mean, there's times that's come close to us. Like there was a wildfire, like three years ago that I could see from my house, but I wasn't ever really in danger, but the air quality right. was terrible. Uh, I was actually flying in Sunday, kind of uh, just slightly ahead of the worst of it, at least in terms of where it was uh, with us. But even then it wasn't too bad. Uh, the flight itself was, there was some turbulence coming in, but nothing that I haven't had experienced before flight wasn't delayed at all. None of the flights seemed to be delayed. It was, it was pretty we- uh, wild to see wind kind of picked up that night a little bit, but again, it, it, I think the land kind of weakened it by the time it got to us. So we didn't get, we didn't bear the brunt of it. Uh, so we were, we're lucky as far as that goes. Um, yeah. Uh, the roads were pretty slick. There were uh, on one stretch of highway. I saw a lot of spin outs, a lot of wipeouts. So there was a lot of hydroplaning going on. Right. That might be a function of also too much oil on the roads built up by no rain that we, we never get rain in the summertime and then people not learning to slow down uh, when there's a rainstorm going on. But you know, otherwise, you know, you know, baseball, I mean, largely got by without it really having too big of an impact. Good. Yeah, that's good. Because like you said, that's a rare occurrence in your neck of the woods. So um, you don't know how people are going to really are going to be able to handle it. 
Yeah, exactly. So the the Angels, I mean, they're going to have two doubleheaders in the span of four days. So they're the one the team that's probably affected the most by this because uh, they have to make up yesterday's rain out against our Reds. So uh, we'll, we'll see about that. And really, your Reds are the ones maybe most affected by it because their season is still on the brink, whereas yep. the Angels season is, I'd say, I'd say there's no chance now. It's tough. I mean, I, I feel bad for them because I, I want to see teams go for it, right? And they just almost immediately went into the tank after that. Yeah. They had that doubleheader sweep of the uh, Tigers and like, oh, era of good feelings. And then they lost like first week of August. And uh, yeah. yeah, you look at them now, they're behind. They're wow. They're nine games out of the wild card now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're three games under 500. Yeah, they're done. Uh, that's rough. Your Blue Jays, despite taking two out of three from our Reds, are still one game out now in the wild card thanks to the surging Seattle Mariners. Yeah, the Mariners never lose. So <laughs> um, I just, as a Jays fan, I'm trying to stay optimistic that if the Mariners continue to never lose, they'll drag Houston and Texas down with them at some point. Uh, it's starting to become, at first it was, for a few days, kind of Jays Mariners, but now Houston, like I said, they kind of dragged Houston down over the weekend where now Houston's in that fray and the Rangers kept losing as well. So they're kind of in that fray and they blew that game to the Diamondbacks last night, <clears throat> excuse me, last night. So the Rangers aren't far from now being, you know, I think what is like something like two and a half games that Seattle's behind the Rangers and they're even closer than that to Houston. And it's so closer it, than that. Even it's one and a half over Houston and two against the Mariners. Now there you go. So it could end up being four teams for three spots if if they all, I don't know, if they all stay high. I don't know. It, usually these things work themselves out and somebody just has a five-game losing streak or, a, you know, has a week where they lose. They go one and one five or something and kind of falls back. But we'll see. We'll yeah. see where it goes. But I feel like with the Jays, like, like I've said this a few times, all Jays fans this year are frustrated. They just feel like the team's not playing well. And the weekend was a perfect example. They won two out of three on the road against a team that's, you know, competing for the playoffs. And um, Jays fans still didn't really, weren't really happy about the whole thing. No. <laughs> so they're still like, yeah, you guys didn't play that great on the weekend or all week. It's it's that they're not hitting. I think I heard the stat after they got shut out Friday night that they had been shut out seven times in 50 games. That's a lot, right? Like it's basically one, almost once a week, really. You're getting shut out like fully no chance to win, no no runs. That's what frustrates, I think, Jays fans this year. Is there's just so many games where the bats are just completely silent. So Yeah, it's not what you'd expect, but and we've kind of gone through some of the failures this year. Yeah. Frustration, so we won't relitigate that. But, I mean, it's true. They play in a ballpark that should accentuate offense, and it really hasn't. Um, at least the, the cer certain players have fall fallen short of that. They traded away uh, two outfielders, uh, Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, they brought in Kevin Kiermaier to focus on the defensive side of things. Uh, they, they brought in Dalton Varsho, and Varsho has obviously been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, he has been excellent defensively, uh, but and so has Kiermaier when healthy, which is always that, – that's his name, Kiermaier when healthy. Um, it's not it's – not, that's, that's the full name, at least. It's Scottish. It's a long name. But uh, point is, though, I mean – I know Teoscar and Duriel have had their problems too. So it's yep. not like they necessarily straight up miss those guys, but they did trade offense for defense there. Um, thinking that they were stronger in other parts and other parts haven't been strong enough. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's, you could boil the Blue Jays whole playoff chances, I think down to one thing and that's will the bats come around? 
they got about what like five weeks, five and a half weeks or whatever left. The bats have to come around. And those bats are not Kevin Kiermeyer. He's been okay. It's 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 Vladdy, it's Springer, it's uh Varsho. Those bats have to come around. Brandon Belt's been fine, Bichette's been fine. Those the the bats that have been slumbering, they need to come around in these next five weeks or else they'll be on the outside looking in. It uh some good team in the American League is gonna be on the outside looking in. Oh, for sure. That's well, I think where I'm at with that. Yeah, and what what's the recent what the recent events have done have brought the Rangers and Rays even into jeopardy. I mean, the Rays are four and a half, uh, the top wild card team still. They're four and a half up, but they were you know a, a metric you know mile ahead of everybody. A metric mile does not exist, by the way. I understand this. I, I'm not totally enumerate, but because uh, it, it would be a metric kilometer would be That's right. a better way of phrasing that. Which is um, not quite as far. Yes. Uh, but yeah, point is they they had they had opened up such a wide distance on the pack, both in the AL East and in the uh, in the wild card race, and they've already lost the AL East lead to the uh, O's, and you know they're in jeopardy of even missing the playoffs. Uh, you, they have to have a lot of things still go wrong, and to that to that end, they're closer to regaining the AL East than they are to losing the wild card. But just it's in play. Same with the Rangers, yep. who were cruising for such a long time, still have the best run differential in the American League. Uh, and yet here we are thinking, okay, they're only a game and a half up and the Mariners are two games out. They're also the last wild card. The Red Sox on the other end have played themselves back into contention. Seven games over 500 just swept the Yankees who are just free falling. Yeah. The Yankees have, have all become embarrassing really because, because they're the Yankees, this like free fall. I think if Mm -hmm. the Mariners make it, well, even if the Mariners don't, I think either way, no matter how it goes, there'll be one team in the American league at least where, you'll look and say like, I can't believe that team didn't get in the playoffs. And and that won't be the case in the national league. Like whoever falls out of this race where other than the Phillies, like all these other teams in the wild card race are like two games above 500, three games above 500, you know, I think four games above 500. I think whoever falls out of that race, I think you'll, you'll kind of say, well, whatever, like they had their chance. Yep. They didn't get it done. I think in the American, league, if the Jays don't make it, if Houston doesn't make it, if Texas now doesn't make it after, that offense going so well for so long. Um, yeah, I think one of those teams is going to leave the season very frustrated. I also wanted to mention that I just, I, you know, I talked a few weeks ago about that thing with the Brewers and the Reds and the Brewers taking control of the division by being the Reds. One of the other things that I really loved this weekend, especially as a frustrated last week, I guess as a frustrated Jays fan is what Julio Rodriguez did where, you know, he just fully put the team on his back. Yes, and he did had that ridiculous stretch where he was 17 for 21. And, you know, he hasn't had a great season. Even after that hot stretch, he's still been worse this season than last season. But he had that ridiculous hot stretch and then, um, and you know, kind of pushed them through those wins on that winning streak on most of those games. He's had a hit for, what, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row. He's had a hit. He's got a couple homers in there. He's got steals, like everything. So it's kind of cool to see a team's star player especially on a team that doesn't have a great offense, their star player just for a stretch here, put the team on the, on his back, bring them right now back into the point where they're in a playoff spot. He's going to cool off, but um, it's those kind of like magical performances by big players that you really want to see down the stretch. You know, he's the eighth rated player in Rotowire's earned auction value for the season. Wow. So, I mean, this stretch has done a lot. I mean, cause yeah. batting average was the thing that was holding him back before. I mean, he's got 21 homers and 33 stolen bases. Uh, I think people kind of overlook that. And 79 and 76 on the st- the counting stats. I mean, it's not Braves-like, but in, in a the rest of the world universe, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he added 23 points to his batting average in a week. 
yeah. in late August. That's that's remarkable. So and then along the way, also threw in you know whatever, but a dozen RBIs and a couple homers and a handful of runs scored. So from an OPS perspective, you know he's still over fifty points worse than last year, and that's with the Babbitt being the same as last yeah. year. He's at a point where he's actually he's had the exact same amount of plate appearances now five sixty last year, five sixty so far this year. Homers are down seven. You know, batting average is now close. Um, it, from a fantasy perspective, he's like the exact same right now from right. what was in the same amount of play appearance last year. From an actual baseball perspective, he's down a little bit uh, just because the on-base percentage is down a bit and the home runs are down a bit. But hey, yeah. from a fantasy perspective, yeah, like you said, he's pumped himself in that week right back up. That's what Bo Bichette did last year, right? He had a he was kind of mildly disappointing, and then his surge was in September. But he had a surge over a couple of weeks where he just pumped himself right back up to being you know, more comparable to where people had him in the preseason. Yeah. Including, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, Bo Bichette, including running a lot more in the last month of this season, that's, right. yeah. that's not coming back though. Uh, I don't think nope. it is at least with him. No, Not this year with his knee now for sure. No. Yeah. Um, and it was, his sprint speed was down yet again this year. Uh, everything kind of suggests that that's, that's, that's probably out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Giants. Let's, you, t- you talked about the NL. The NL wildcard race is kind of a race to the bottom right now. It's the opposite of the uh, AL, uh, where I mean the Phillies look good and the Phillies are surging. They they crushed the Giants yesterday. Giants are really struggling. They're not scoring runs. Five hundred thirty nine runs scored. That puts them well below all all but the Marlins in terms of wildcard contenders right now. The Padres. Everything had opened up for this team. Hey, you're you know this is this this wildcard race is there for you to jump back in and. They're still only five and a half out, but they, every time they get close, they go on a losing streak. They were one game under 500 for a while against the, in, until that Dodger series. Now they're six games under 500. Uh, they did win last night, but still, I mean, I, I, I keep expecting that roster to make a surge and it just hasn't happened. They're still well behind the diamondbacks, which, you know, the diamondbacks did everything to fall apart. Now they're surging back into the race again. Yeah, the Diamondbacks basically crumbled when Merrill Kelly went on the IL mm-hmm. and then surged as soon as he came back. I, yep. I know that one pitcher can't change that because he only pitches every five Especially days. Merrill Kelly, yes. Well, he's having a great year. I think yeah. he's top 10 in baseball in ERA, something like that. But um, I And he's huge for that rotation. He's become number two behind Zach Gallon. But either way, no matter who he was, if he was Garrett Cole, like he can't, you can only start one every fifth game. He can't put, make your team go eight and two in 10 games but um yeah they fell apart and then really climbed back up like you mentioned with the giants like the giants so the giants have by far the worst offense in baseball since the all-star break like their ops is like 40 points or something below the second worst team since the all-star break so their offense is completely collapsed they're a team that i definitely as a fan and i don't mind the giants but i do not want to see this giants team make the playoffs i just feel like they're not fun they're not a fun team to watch no at all. I would much rather see the Padres make the playoffs. I'd even rather see the Diamondbacks make the playoffs with Corbin Carroll and you write some interesting couple of interesting pitchers this year. I'd see the rather see the Marlins and their young pitchers make it. I'd rather see the Cubs who have come back, the Reds, whatever. I do not want to see the Giants get one of those wild right. spots. Going back to the Diamondbacks, it was get Merrill Kelly coming back was huge. Also, you know, Brandon Fott since coming off the IL. Yeah. I'm not coming from not from the IL, from uh, his latest uh, demotion. It's been okay. Uh, I mean there, there was one one kind of disaster start there against the uh, Dodgers, which, I mean, the Dodgers are going to get you. Uh, the Mariners start wasn't very good, but in his six starts since coming back, he's got a 350 ERA, a 108 whip, uh, and 8.5 Ks per nine. 
that'll yeah. play, especially when you when you look at how the, the Diamondbacks have literally been in the desert thirsting for good starting pitching. Uh, it's something they really needed. Uh, they still, I mean, they still only have four starters. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're kind of faking it right now. Slate catch Chichoni, uh is their number four right now. Uh, and he's, he's had two starts. Uh, he's got, you know, he's been good so far, but what do we really know about him uh, for this year? Uh, you know, he had, he was horrible in AAA. And part of their problem is their AAA team plays in Reno. So everybody's horrible there because it's a, it's a total launching pad. And I think it screws up pitcher development for them. For sure. I mean, you know, I, I know very little about being the head of a major league baseball organization, but I did experience this when the Jays were in Vegas for a brief amount of time with their AAA team. And yep. I did not, as someone who follows the team very closely, I did not like it. I didn't like how it messed with pitchers, how it inflated hitters. I like that team much better in Buffalo where it feels more like normal baseball. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like that at all. So, yeah, I can I totally see where it's coming from. You're right that Brandon Fott's been much better. Um, he got them a split in two mid-August starts against the Padres. Um, he actually pitched better in the one where they lost. They lost. Yeah, took a no-hitter into the seventh in that one. Yeah, and then they ended up losing 4 nothing after he left the game. Um, but whatever, like you said, like he's a real key for them down the stretch because they don't have – like that rotation is maybe even more shallow than your Reds rotation. I'd say it is. It is like it has a little more quality at the top with Gallon yeah. pitching so well and Carol and Kelly pitching so well, but like it, it completely falls off after that. Yeah, Reds have quietly gotten decent starting yep. pitching Agreed. since the All Star break. Their offense has actually taken a step backward, but like although yes. Hunter Green just got torched in his return over the weekend against your Jays, didn't look like uh, himself at all. Did not look ready. No, unfortunately, he didn't. They, you know. 99 miles an hour is, is still hittable if it's straight and predictable. And it was both, I think. Five home uh, runs allowed. Like that pretty much shows you that like they could just sit on, like they could just sit on him and, and square him up. Like he wasn't getting movement. Yeah. So yeah, he, that, I think that's a concern for the Reds trying to, to climb into a playoff spot. Like they need him to be better, but you're right. Some of these other less famous Reds pitchers have been at least just serviceable, which was your big rallying cry at the trade deadline. And, They've been okay. Yeah. Still think they needed yeah. and they needed a link. They needed bullpen help. Um, they, they, they haven't gotten it. Uh, Brandon Williamson has been pretty decent since, uh, since June. Uh, you know, he, he had an abbreviated start against the O's where rain came in. And since then, in his last few starts, uh, he, he's, uh, what has he done? He's, uh, what, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, bear with me here. Uh, since, since that start, He's been pretty serviceable, you know. You, you know, he three thirty five, one twelve, eight point eight k per nine. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll play, mm-hmm. especially for the Reds. So, and they like, just call. Sorry, Go I was ahead. Gonna say, no, I was just going to say, like you mentioned, it's the hitting. These exciting young hitters have kind of just hit their. Maybe this is their August swoon. Maybe this is their running out of gas. But like, or Mrs. Pitcher's figuring them out a little more. But mm-hmm. Ellie De La Cruz hasn't been as good. Just in general, the young hitter sure. lineup hasn't been good. Now they've got Noel V. Marte here to save the day, right? He's here. Yeah, he's the latest. They I did. They're going to play him every day. Or yeah. A lot, so. Play him at third base regularly. Yeah. Well, Jonathan India was going to have like this short term absence, maybe not even go on the IL, yep. then a minimum stay. And it's been over a month now. Yep. Uh, and I, I know he's not necessarily part of their future, but he's part of their present. I think they miss him. They, Jake Fraley's been they miss hurt. Jake Fraley, that's what I was going to say. A lot. That's, that's a big one too. Uh, yep. You know, it's it's tough to overcome that. 
Uh, TJ Friedel kind of got exposed as an everyday player. Stuart Fairchild did. Now he's hurt. I mean, they're, they're, they're going through some like depth issues in the outfield a little bit. And yet, you know, they, they uh, Nick Senzel can't get his call back up. Uh, they, they just kind of decided to go without him. They're calling up like TJ Hopkins. They're calling up Mike Ciani. These are guys that are not part of their future. They are not the prospects like these other guys. Nick Martini. Um, the fact that they they felt saw fit to do that kind of indicates where they're at, where they feel about these guys. So Spencer Steer is going to get a lot of time in the outfield. That's kind of his ultimate destination, I feel like. It's now that, especially now that Marte's up, uh, but they're still like they're short of bat right now. Um, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I do think with Senzel, I think his time with the Reds is probably done. Like I would assume, I assume he'll move on to another organization. He's 28, isn't really panned out, hasn't panned out at all. The injuries, whatever. But I think he's, I think he's kind of done. Um, maybe done as a major leaguer, but definitely done as a member of the Reds. I think he'll get a fresh start in the offseason with another organization. And Joey Votto's also cooled off. He's hitting under 200 in August. Um, he's had a few home runs, but you know he hasn't been able to to point any signs of life in. So we'll see. They're kind of they're just hanging on right now behind the Cubs and the Brewers. They they need another hot streak. They we'll do. See we'll see if they have it in them. Yeah, well, and they fared so poorly in the key head-to-head matchups against yeah. the Cubs recently and the Brewers before that. It's really been hurtful. They did do a lot better against the Diamondbacks and Padres earlier, so there's a tiny reason for hope there, but still, uh, nonetheless, uh, we'll see about that. Hey, before we move on to our topic du jour, uh, which is about early closers again, a uh, quick note from one of our sponsors uh, at Home Run Index. We know the weather can impact how, bar- how far a ball can fly, especially if it's in a hurricane. Uh, but we never know what all, what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The home run forecast gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, Average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game, as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Also, we are on the Blue Wire Network. Here are their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you for your indulgence. We are done with ads for today. Uh, let's get into the topic. Uh, the topic du jour is, you know, we've had all these really good early closers, but has it really paid off? Like, you know, how, you know, how, how, how well have people done? Jeff, I lost your sound. Let's try that again. There you go. All right. I think uh, you're muted. So tell us all your closer thoughts one more time, Jeff. Okay, one of my closer thoughts is Rob McCabe. Uh, and I think I was reading his Twitter address. Yep. It's Lee H Rat Nation. Uh, it's S L E E H R A T Nation. Uh, and out of the top twenty teams, at, uh, as of Friday in the NFBC overall main event, only two of them used. And uh, one top five pick on a closer, despite it being the, the growing trend to select early closers. So it hasn't necessarily followed that the, the early closer strategy has been the most successful strategy. That's right. And I think that is noteworthy in a season where um, where the early closers have mostly paid off. Right. Like if you took right. Edwin Diaz really early, obviously that was a total fail. But a lot of these other ones um, have have paid off as at least as far as saves go. Emmanuel Classe, we've talked about how he could have been better this year but he's been getting the saves you know Devin Williams has been good Rizal Iglesias like like he's probably still going to get in the 30s for saves yeah. um although he, you know by he had his shoulder thing right before sure. the first main events went off yep. so he yep. he was he came at a discounted rate and he's still but he's but even with that he's come back and is going to get his saves after yep. the discounted race and is still not on any of the top 10 teams no so, I mean, maybe he will be by the end of the season. That's one thing I did think about a little bit is elite closers are a little bit the long game. Like if we knew we were playing only playing fancy baseball for half a year or something like that, maybe you'd mess around with saves more because you take the bad closers and hopefully they hold their jobs for half a year or something like the, the elite closers are the long game. Cause there, there still could be closers who lose their jobs at some point this year, but yeah. we're pretty late in the long game just to not see more closers. You know, as you mentioned with Rob, like, like um, like Josh Hader is only on on one of the top teams. Jordan Romano is only on one of the top teams. Like these players have not been dotting all the rosters. It's more Carlos Estevez, Kyle Finnegan, David Bednar. These are the pitchers who are on a lot of these teams. Yeah. So, and it, I I think what it really shows is you don't have to get closers correct. 
you can, I mean, it helps. It's nice, but you can whiff on the closers or you can wait on the closers and do all right. Even like some of the, you know, the, 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 the real re good returns on investment, Camilo Duvall, uh, you know, Dur uh, you know, you know, Duran, uh, you know, uh, Diaz. I mean, you know, th th these are guys that, you know, hey, he's a league winner. Well, guess not. Guess what? Is it not. Remember when Edwin Diaz had his monster season in Seattle? Uh, he was only on one of the top 20 NFBC overall NFBC main event overall teams. I mean, that that blew my mind because, you know, he was massive that year. It's like nearly 60 saves. Right. Um, and it shows that, you know, just the fact that you got that right is is nice, but it's not sufficient and it's not even necessarily necessary. I, uh, you know, necessarily necessary. necessarily necessary. Well done. I talk for a living. <laughs> is, uh, so do you think that Rob's findings, they're not findings, but his reporting on what's going on this season. Do you think that that could influence the way people draft in the main event next year? Probably not. I think people will come to their own conclusions. Anyhow. Uh, I, I think, one of the things here is there's been a multiplicity of good choices. You know, you didn't have to have a top 10 closer. You didn't even have to have the ne the next 10 and get it perfect. I mean, yeah, if you did Bednar, it really worked out well. Estevez, it really worked out well, although it's not working out well right now. Uh, but, you know, the point is, you know, yeah, these are found, these are found saves, but the, the, at least in the draft, but they were in the draft still. It's been a, I think it's been a little bit of an aberrant year for saves coming into the league. I just don't know how repeatable it is. I just think we've had unusually good health, unusually good performance from most of the top uh, closers this year. Oh, Rob has actually jumped into the chat here, and he has mentioned that his analysis was for the the online oh online championship. championship. My bad. 10. I'm sorry, Rob. Not my the bad. Main event top ten. So my next question was going to be, um, how much will like how much of this is related to like large group you know, online championship main event type data. Like, is this, is this actionable for your home league or is it actionable for even like an NFBC satellite league or it a, should be. Uh, and here's the thing. Or... It should be for the OC. It should be for the main. I mean that the trend was, you know, earlier closers were going earlier and earlier. And I think it does demonstrate you didn't have to do that to do well this year. Mm -hmm. I think that is important to take away. I think it's a lesson we've had to have reinforced before in the past and we've ignored it though. Uh, it's just because I think what happens is we look at what happened last year and we act on that. Mm -hmm. We don't have as much of a long view when we look at these. I think it's really important to know this. I think it's a lesson that needs to be learned and relearned and relearned again. Yeah. my So I, I definitely see it's proven. Well, not proven, but it, it's definitely um, fuel to the fire to the point where you don't have to go closer heavy early to do well. Yeah. Um, I'll take it so far as to wonder, can you go closer heavy early and do well? Because we're not really seeing that. Now, in a in a main event or an online championship, I think there's a big onus to be uh, an have an effective roster in all 10 categories. Whereas you can win labor or something like that with very sure. little power or whatever. Uh, very few steals, something like that. So maybe you can go, maybe if you go closer heavy early in a big championship you can't build the net i don't know or it's hard i can't say you can't it's hard to build the necessary roster depth at the hitting positions and starting pitching to be good across 10 categories that's that was something i was thinking about was like because obviously the people who have taken these early closers in the online championship they've got their saves 
they're probably doing well on saves, but they're obviously deficient in other areas. That's why they're not in the top 10. Right. You know, the opportunity cost of finding yet one more bat. Also, right. I think it's just you got to get the right bats. Like any strategy yeah. works with the right players. It's got Pianowski. That, that's right. Does it put too much? Just taking Emmanuel Classe in round three and Jordan Romano in round five, or even either one of them, does that put too much pressure on you to find the right bats later? And I think the answer is not really yes. attainable. Like you think you can, but you can't. Yeah. That was well, it, any time, any contest with an overall overall component, it's going to put a lot of pressure on you. You're going to have to, right. it, it shaves away that margin for error. And let's face it, error has been a big thing this year. Starting pitching, you know, it, it, as Scott White likes to say, the glop is bigger than ever this year. The glob, I think it's glob or glob? Glob. 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 Um, it's bigger than ever. Um, and that, it's hard when you don't have those reliable starting pitchers, we, you know, week in, week out that you know aren't going to get crushed. When most of them are yeah. going to get crushed, it, it really forces you to kind of dig into the matchups more, avoid the Braves, you know, at all costs, uh, you know, things like that. You know, it, the, the Braves are now peak course field, I feel like. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman had a tweet, uh, I think, either late last night or early this morning, talking about how their, like, their exit velocity is like a standard deviation above the second place team. Like gap between one and two in terms of average exit velocity in the last month. Uh, for the Braves is bigger than the gap from two to 24. I mean, it's just super, super big gap. They're just such a better team. It, it's really crazy. Yeah, absolutely. They're, avoid the Braves can be one of our quick takeaways for sure for this one uh, with your pitchers. Um, something I also noticed, though, with starting pitching, um, like about half of the ERA, say, let's say the top 10 in ERA. And I'm going to take Otani out of that because you're primarily using him as a hitter. Um mm-hmm. About half of the top 10 available starting pitchers in ERA were not drafted as aces or a lot of them even number twos. Like, you know, Justin Steele, Kyle Bradish, Merrill Kelly, who we already talked about, those guys, Dane Gunning. And then if you go to wins, so that's one of the four categories that they help with. And if you go to wins, about half of them in the wins are also, say, in the top 10 are not, you know, again, Steele, Zach Eflin, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, Kyle Gibson. So... That there's two out of the four. There's half of the categories right there where you could get in the middle or late rounds or on the waiver wire early in the season. Some of these players who have been not just serviceable, but elite in these categories. Michael Lorenzen's top 10 in whip. Zach Eflin's top 10 in whip. So the whip is a little more tied to a little more tied to draft position. But um, I could definitely make an argument that like the elite starting pitchers aren't showing sorry, the elite drafted starting pitchers aren't showing up in the leaderboard even as well as the elite closers are. When I click on saves, I see class A, I see Felix Batista, Romano, Devin Williams, Kenley Jansen, et cetera. So at least you got the saves from the closers. So I think that's interesting too. And Rob, if you want, if you want some more homework, I'd be interested to know from those like high end starting pitchers, how are they showing up on the the teams that are winning these uh, or are in the lead in these championships right now, the big championships right now? Because I think that's interesting too, because like you said, this, the glob is so big. And part of the reason the glob is so big is we were pitchers are having trouble escaping the glob. Yep. And, and I mean, even, Sp- even Spencer Strider gets hit every once in a while. Garrett cool. Cole gets hit every once in a while. So, you know, Cole got hit by the Red Sox over the weekend. Strider, uh, the infamous uh, Monday where they, they swap out Monday against the Pirates and, and then he bounced back, of course, was huge against the Mets. I got to imagine Strider share, you know, their representation, representation of Strider has got to be pretty high. 227 Ks. I mean, it's just. Yeah. And 14 so wins. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he has been either kind of on or off. Like his ERA is 357, and it was almost four a couple weeks ago. And mm-hmm. he's brought it down in his last couple starts. Uh, after that Monday NFBC tech glitch fiasco, if you keep Strider in your lineup, that, that after that start, his ERA was close to four. The last couple starts, he's pulled it back down. But the 14 wins, because he's been kind of on and off, and obviously he's well supported by the Braves lineup. Um, yeah, I, I got to think he shows up on a lot of those teams. But, but yeah, I, I find all that interesting too. I, I would say the the top 10 or top 15 starting pitchers selected, how are they showing up on mm-hmm. the elite teams in comparison to the closers? Cause I find all that interesting because like we said, like with the closers, you are mostly getting what you wanted, whether it was worth it or not is another discussion, but what you wanted from Jordan Romano, you've got what you wanted from Devin Williams, you've got, you know, you're going to get 37 saves, something like that and good ratios from them. Yep. That's right. So, yeah, well, uh, it's I think it's going to be definitely a back to the drawing board offseason. It always is. But that's that's definitely one category. Yeah, this you you cut out. You're cutting out again, Jeff. So I'll I'll jump in there um, and just mention uh, you're right. It does feel like in baseball every year. And you and I do a lot of football as well. It does feel like in baseball every year lately. It's a back to the drawing board offseason, whether it's because of. short schedules or things out of baseball's control COVID or whether it's because of things in their control, like uh, labor problems or rule changes. Uh, This might be, I'm very optimistic, the first season uh, in a long time where we can actually take last year's rules and state of baseball and apply them directly to next year's. But you're right. We're very much back to the drawing board because especially the pitching has been really hard to manage this year and the, the dramatic change in stolen bases, which we saw coming, but you really needed to experience it to, to measure it. So the, uh, there'll be dramatic changes, I, I can tell you right now, to my spreadsheet and the denominators and everything else this offseason, the biggest ones I've made in several years. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I also think that, I mean, health, I think I'm going to count on fewer innings from my starters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, I think the incidence of injuries have gone up. I need to confirm that with Will Carroll. When I saw, you know, I'm kind of relying on something he tweeted a couple months ago at this point in time that our pitcher arm injuries were up 45% at the time. I don't, you know, that's a pretty big jump uh, if, it, if that's sustained. Uh, now, I think over the course of the season, the rate of injury might go down because it's kind of a survivor's bias. You know, a lot of the injuries happen early in a season. Yep. Uh, so you start to see fewer of them, but then again, Shane McClanahan happened like yep. later in the season. It can still happen. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that's the other thing I'm going to be taking away. Like if they're becoming less predictable than they already were, if they're, uh, if it's becoming more fragile than they already were, maybe it doesn't make sense to invest heavily on these top starting pitchers. I mean, that might be the takeaway. I, something I got to think about a little bit more. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in my mind that, my, my mental jury is out as far as am I going to go a little more hitter heavy next year? Um, and that's re- obviously when I say, am I going to go more? That's got to be related to how I did it this year. That's not going to be the same answer for every manager because some people might've gone too hitter heavy this year or they, the way they did their team. So I'm going to have to assess my teams and what went well and what didn't go well. Um, but yeah, figuring out what is the return, what has been the return this year on these top starting pitchers as opposed to the top closers. It's really interesting to me. And the main event or online championship data, I think is helpful. And then trying to figure out 
does that matter for a league like labor or a league like Tet Wars, right. which is an FBC satellite league, like I said, where you can have more category imbalance and still come away with the league title. Yep. Uh, well, and you know, that's one of those, like, you know, Doug Dennis is totally punted starting pitching in AL Tet Wars one going away last year uh, is competitive again this year. I mean, it, it's, it's gotta be something that's in play, right? Uh, and think about it that way. Uh, let's look at some of the uh, specific performances from uh, last night that we can talk about. Aaron Nola had a good start. Uh, hasn't been a good year, though. I mean, he still hasn't totally come around. I mean, he had a good start against the Giants. Okay, great. Uh, the team that you aforementioned uh, is one of the, uh, you know, one of the more disappointing offenses in baseball, especially since the All Star break. Yeah, and the Aaron Nola every other year thing is is really wild. Like if you go through his career log. Like he has not had two seasons. I think that the, the closest gap in his ERA from one season to the next is 0.49. And almost every other season is like over a run and yeah. it goes and it completely goes like good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Now what's good and bad for Enola changes a bit in his career. Cause he actually becomes a better pitcher at one point. But yeah, if you look at his career, it, it perfectly alternates. ERA go up, ERA go down, ERA go up, like almost, almost throughout his entire career. And last year it came way down after he was really frustrating in 2021. This year it's back to way up. Um, the strikeouts are always there. Uh, but beyond that, even his whip has moved a lot the last few years. Um, yeah, it's been a really frustrating year. And like you said, him like succeeding against a Giants team that hasn't been able to hit anyone in the second half doesn't really change much for me. Uh, a lot of his summer starts were not good. And some of them were against like my Jays who hadn't hit that well, really the Royals. He had a bad summer start. The Pittsburgh knocked him around. Mm -hmm. He hasn't even been, been, it hasn't even been predictable. Yeah. I'll say a couple things about Noel. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, that's, it's going to be a, you know, very few quality starting pitching free agents are going to be out there. He might be at the top of the list. Home run rate is way up this year. Like, the highest of his career, uh, home runs per nine, 1.63 home runs per nine innings. Uh, I, I think the next highest was two year in 2021 at 1.30. And that was kind of a happy fun ball year. Uh, you know, you can see it was, he's not, you know, he, he's giving up home runs at a bigger rate and the ball isn't as juice as it was then. So that, that, that's something of concern. Swing and mess was way down earlier in the season. It's, it's climbing back up. It's up to 12.3%. Uh, earlier in the year, like last year was 13, year before 13.1. Earlier in the year, it was like down to 10. He's, he's really kind of built that back up. Yeah, and my first thought when you said home run rates up is I thought, you know, well, hey, let's get Aaron Nola into a team with a big park and get him out of Philadelphia and let's see how he does. Then, except that this year, most of his home runs have been on the road. His home run rate at home is actually fine. Wild his home run rate on the road this year is, uh, is a lot worse. So I can't even just say just his general performance on the road. He has a 526 ERA on the road this year. So it's not even like we can say, say it, you know, really simple like that. I don't know. In the every other year theory, invest in Aaron Nola next year. His stock will be down a little bit, not a lot. Cause he's still a really reliable starter. He will have in, by the way, in free agency, like a lot of value <laughs> to, no matter how yes, this finishes, as long as he finishes healthy, like he's a, he is a workhorse. He's already thrown 160 innings, and trust me, it's hard for teams to find innings right now. They're dead, you know. Look, I mean, the Rays are an extreme example, but trying to find someone that can give you six innings, even at Nola's current rate, that that's valuable. That's still very valuable. Now, whether that's predictable going forward, that that's another debate for another day. Uh, Christian Javier 
another guy that's been drafted like an ace was not, you know, starting off like an ace. He's not there right now. I just a like a really weird season for him where, yeah, you're right. He was drafted as kind of like maybe an ace, maybe more like a high end number two. And then things were just rolling for him. Like as of the, at the on June 3rd, after a start on June 30, at a 284 ERA and it had some double digit strikeout games, you know, everything looked like it was really rolling for him. In fact, he had gotten the win in five starts in a row at that point. Um, and it looked like, like everything made a lot of sense because he had a really good year last year. Um, this year it was like, he was going to do it again, except for more innings. And that was the thing with Javier last year, right? Is cause he was in the bullpen a little bit last year and he only threw 148 and two thirds. And was he going to be able to, could he do that for like a hundred and set what he did last year for 175, 180 innings. And it looked like he was going to, and then everything has just fallen apart and he's been really bad. He makes, makes Aaron Noel look, look good. He had some terrible starts and he kind of recovered to the point where he gave you like a string of like five and two thirds and three runs kind of things like that. Um, some easy matchups in there too, like an Oakland, uh, a Yankees, cause they've had such a rough summer and he couldn't really get much done. And then now he's had a little bit of a harder stretch and not, not even that hard actually like home to Boston. That should be manageable last night. And he wasn't good. He uh, actually got a win though. Believe he did. Or not. He did. Yeah. James Paxton was worse or at least less effective. I don't, I don't think Boston helped James Paxton much last night, but um, a previous start at Miami, like that should be, if you're a good starter, you should be able to have a quality start there. And the strikeouts are so concerning. Like last night, three, the start before yeah. two, the start before that three, the start before that four. Like we just have seen so few starts going all the way back really to the middle of May. Like we have seen so few starts. So if I can go, if I go back to May 10th, since it started on May 10th, he struck out 11. Since that start, he's had just eyeballing at about 15 starts. He's got one with seven, one with nine. That's it. Everything yep. else is five or less. On June third, he beat the Angels. Uh, you know, at that point in time, he had a two eighty four year eight, a point nine nine WHIP. Since then, uh, in fifty seven innings, he's got a six fifty five ERA, a one fifty eight WHIP, six point seven Ks per nine, four point five walks per nine yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, I, when I was talking with Nick Pollock uh, earlier, you know, from Pitcher List, when he he came on the pod, he did talk about his command issues about. Uh, Javier's command issues, not Nick's. That would be weird. Uh, but you know, it, it it's ever present. You can see it. He's just he's not locating. You know, his secondary pitches. Uh, it's hard to get strikeouts when you can't get strikes on your in your breaking pitches. Yeah, as you said, his strikeout rate year over, or sorry, his walk rate year over year is like walks per nine is almost identical. Um, it's the it's the massive strikeout rate drop. He'd always been able to get strikeouts and. For Christian Javier, I followed his minor league career fairly closely. Like he'd always been able to get strikeouts in the minors too. This this all fit for him. It all made sense. I actually think I have no shares of him, even though I wanted them. I wanted them, but he had a lot of helium. A lot of people were buying into, like this guy could be a league winner if he can throw 175 innings, like he threw 148 and two thirds last year. And he, I found his dry, draft price was pretty high, so I didn't end up, end up getting him anywhere. And I, I regretted that. Obviously, it's worked out fine. Um, and he's a big key now that we talked about it earlier. Now that Houston's actually in a, a real mess of a playoff race, um, you know, he's a big key as far as like they've added Verlander, but which helps. But Verlander just kind of replaces Javier if Javier pitches like a number five starter for the rest of the year. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I they're in a, a weird boat there as far as that goes. Uh, let's switch to hitters real quick. Uh, let's talk about a Kyle Schwarber a little bit monster monster home run last night 
He is now up to 33 homers and 80 RBI and 76 runs scored, but zero stolen bases, 183 batting average. The earned uh, earned auction value calculator still has him as a positive player, like about $16. So it's it's below where he was getting drafted, but higher than you would think for a, a 183 hitter. Yeah, and I think also with Schwarber, like he was a two, he was only a 218 hitter. Like, like the differences from this year, last year, last year had this crazy 10 steal season. So just kind of came out of nowhere and you thought, well, with the new steal real rules and him hitting lead off again, Hey, you probably steal a 10 again. Why not? He was 10 for 11 last year. It's easier to steal bases this year and he hasn't stolen any successfully. Um, and then the batting average dipping 35 points while we have the shift ban and it's easier for a lot of hitters to get hit. So for him going down 35 points in that environment, like when I projected him out, I have a couple of Schwarber shares. Um, when I projected him out, like you thought, okay, well he hit 218 last year. Just, just the shift rules could maybe make him at least 235, something like that, yeah. um, which was about his career going into this year is about 230. So, um, you know, he may be 235. So the 183 is a, is a far cry from that. And it's really killing a lot of teams' batting averages. He's just a really interesting, and he's going to be a very polarizing player in draft seasons because he's probably going to finish this year with 40 home runs. Yeah. Um, and he might get to 90 in both runs and RBIs. But if you're projecting him next year for a 200 batting average, it's going to be like you're going to need a very special type of roster construction to take him with a significant pick. It was the classic Joey Gallo Joey kind Gallo. of decision yeah. that you have to make. And then yeah. as soon as there's any slippage, I mean, the player is kind of worthless. At least Gallo took a ton of walks. So does Schwarber, actually. Uh, so in OBP leagues, it's a, you know it's not as bad of a problem. But in a batting average league, man, it, it's it's the shack, uh, the problem with free throws, you know, or, um, you know, a few others that have been, you know, Dwight Howard is a better example because at least Shaq was so dominant in the other category. So you were fine with the trade off there. Howard, you know, it was a little bit more of a, okay, he's very good, but he also could crater in his value pretty quickly. So, yeah, I also think it's tough. Like on paper during draft season, you can start your draft in such a way where you feel like you can handle Joey Gallo or handle Kyle Schwarber. You can be like, Hey, I got player X and Y and Z and they're all 300 hitters. So I'm good. I'm the guy who can take this guy on and get the 40 home runs and it won't kill my, if it hurts, it'll hurt my batting average, but it won't kill it. Except I've been there and I've tried that. And I find when I do that, like these guys who are 300 hitters, like talk to me about Jeff McNeil, right? Like these guys who are 300 hitters, like Jeff McNeil hit 326 last year, going into the season, his career batting average was over 300. He's hitting 266. So if you drafted a Jeff, if you were like, Hey, I'll take a Schwarber, but I'm also going to get a Jeff McNeil and maybe another guy like that. And then, like you're putting a lot of pressure on these guys to produce an elite batting average. I have, I have Jeff McNeil and Xander Bogarts on the same team. And I thought, Oh, I am in great batting average shape. Like those two combined with some other players that I drafted. Yeah. Well, Xander Bogarts year over year batting average dropped 42 points. McNeil's dropped 70. So, and it, it illustrates the peril that you run into when you get like a specialist in a category. If they don't, do that one thing and dominate that category what value do they have you right. know it's the billy hamilton uh with stolen bases was that way like okay i'm sacrificing power with him but i'm gonna dominate stolen bases until you don't okay. uh and then then where you're at um and it's, it's even this year with like some you know the running numbers up across the game and some you have some much bigger stolen base totals you're still not getting that dominance from certain players and it hasn't paid off so yeah 
easy to say, easier to say, easier said than done. But you know, you want to get well-rounded players that can do a little bit of everything if you can, so they can kind of compensate when one thing is off. They're doing other things to help you. That's right. And I mean, the earned auction value calculator says that Schwarber has been worth having on your team this year. Maybe not at where he was drafted this year, but right. You know, that if he just repeated this year and again next year, he would be worth having on your team. It's just a question of like in, in a vacuum he is. It's just a question of how do you build right. a team and do can you build it in the draft or are you tricking yourself? I don't know. I, I often just take and Schwarber wasn't one of these for me this year, unfortunately, but I often just take players who I've got hitting under. I would say 220 or 225 or something and just in my projections and just say, no, I'm not yeah. taking any of these guys. And maybe then you miss out on Cody Bellinger hitting 322 this year, but yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> although he's done it in 93 games, I, I, I forgot how many game, how much time he actually missed there. That was pretty yeah. amazing. Um, all right. Uh, let's finish off with the tigers a little bit. There's two guys I want to talk about one. You mentioned the outline that's Kerry Carpenter just absolutely on fire. And the other Spencer Torkelson, who has really been strong since the break. Ah, we can start with Carpenter. Who's yeah. He, like you said, he is on fire and Carpenter profiled as someone, I think even going into this year who deserved more of an opportunity. Like last year in fairly limited work, he had a 795 OPS for like a rebuilding team, like a, a young player who can have a 795 OPS as a rookie, like probably deserves a little more of a look. Um, his playing time's gone up a bit and it went up in July. It's staying up in August, may even be a little higher than that. Um, but this month, yeah, he's just really taken off. And I know he's had some good luck and the strikeout rate's about the same and the walk rate's about the same. So maybe this is just a lucky stretch, but I think it has drawn some attention to the fact that Kerry Carpenter should be a major league player. Like he should be a guy who plays. I don't know if he's the guy who plays every day as a left-handed bat. Like he's a guy who plays against all lefty or sorry, all righties and, Maybe you sprinkle them in against some lefties, but this is someone who I think should be breaking through on a Tiger team that can't hit. This is someone who should be breaking through as a guy who's in your lineup almost every day. I think he will be going forward. Mm-hmm. I think he's done enough. I mean, yes, he could have. This could be a Brian Daubach esque surge where you 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 have that a couple strong months and then he kind of evaporates. But I think he's better than that. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a top one hundred and fifty type of player. Uh, yet, but maybe let's see. Let's how he, yeah. see how he finishes. I mean, he's had yeah. 18 homers already in limited time. What if he gets to 30 somehow by the end of the year? I don't think he'll get that high, but 27, <laughs> 25. Yeah. yeah that's going to open up some well, eyes. If he could finish well and get to 25 home, let's say he gets 25 in under 400 at bats. That's pretty impressive. And then if the tiger tigers commit to him, at least, like I said, at least playing against righties and maybe some lefties, um, his strikeout to walk rate is not amazing, but it's fine. Like it's it's good enough. It's not Rugnet Odor. It's not Javi Baez. Like it's fine. So it's respectable control control of the strike zone. Um, yeah, I think he's a. I, I have negative feelings with uh, Kerry Carpenter, and it's not his fault. I picked him up in labor. I had him for a while, and I dropped him. No. And I just was cycling my outfield in that league is just terrible. And I've been trying to get over, like just get a useful outfield, and he would have been so valuable but i dropped him at one point in july just when they had maybe like a five game week or something like that um so that one's really come back to bite me because i went in that league i went with the unusual two great catchers and took real muto and perez and my whole season has been spent trying to find outfielders and not with any success oh it's frustrating as all yeah. get up. you think yeah. that's the you're going to be able to add. I keep way. trying to remind myself when my outfielders are so bad. I'm like, remember, you have Real Muto and Perez. Other people have terrible catchers. 
you know, I find people who have terrible catchers don't look at their catchers. They're just like sitting there. You know what I mean? Like they're. Oh, just, that's 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 the design. It's, yes. You know, you're like I just gonna glance right past the fact that I have this that I, this terrible catcher in my lineup. But anyways, uh, yeah, I could not find outfielders, and I had one in Carpenter, and I and I let him go. And that was a big mistake. Anyways, uh, oh Torkelson, yeah. let's go. Uh, let's look at Torkelson a little bit. Yeah, uh, big surge lately. He's up to 23 homers. He's at like almost 70 RBI and runs. He's getting there. Yep. You know, it's still the batting average is still kind of low, 235, I think, last I saw. But there, there's enough positive signs. I think more positive signs for him than Andrew Vaughn on the White Sox. I kind of compared that, put those two guys in the same bucket. Uh, but I've been more impressed with Torkelson lately. Um, yeah, uh, Torkelson's another guy who has just like really taken off this month. And just like Carpenter, um, if you were drafting right now for next year, would you rather have Torkelson or Carpenter? I'm talking for a sec. Yep. So I think, I, so this is interesting because it's almost like name versus production. If you took the, took the names off, I think the answer would be Carpenter pretty clearly because Torkelson has shown very little ability to hit for average in his major league career. Now this month he's hit 294. That's a pretty small amount of time. He's still only hitting 239 this year. Um, you know, the power I think we can now trust from Torkelson. It's a matter of where the average goes. Carpenter, like he hit 252 last year in that limited time. And like 252 is not great, but it's better than what Torkelson has been hitting as a major leaguer even this year. And then Carpenter right now it's hitting 287. So when you factor in neither guy steals bases, both seem to have some power. Carpenter seems like your better bet to hit for average. However, Torkelson obviously has that amazing pedigree. You may want to just take him over Kerry Carpenter just because he's Spencer Torkelson. I think I probably would for that reason. Just just the pedigree and the fact that he's so young. Um, I think I might just take him on the chance that he just takes off i he's only two years younger than carpenter it's not that much of a difference but right it's something yeah and you know the thing is you got a bad team context you presume that the tigers will probably be pretty bad next year too although hey riley green's getting better torkelson carpenter you got some signs of a, yep. uh, something happening there but then the the team context and the ballpark kind of draw you back the weather takes you back a little bit yep. god april and may games in detroit it just seems like they just kill offense so i mean that that's also something you kind of have to worry about a little bit too but Yep, I've got positive feelings on Torque right now. Uh, when, so yeah, when you combine Torque's name value, if he finishes hot, he's going to have so much helium yeah. next year in draft season. I think he will too. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap it up at that. Uh, got a lot going on today. Uh, I want to thank everybody for ch- chiming in. Thanks to Rob McCabe for the inspiration for the topic on uh, closer draft strategy. Uh, really good thread, and uh, make sure to give him a follow. Uh, we will have uh, James Anderson with us tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Take care. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.